you're just tuning in or you've been waiting, sorry about that. We had a technical glitch. And if you're, it just came up, you just missed the most awesome introduction to a sermon I've ever given. Now I get to do it again. <laughs> Welcome to New Hope Presbyterian Church. My name is Tommy Allen, <laughs> king of the glitches and technical errors. So we are here now uh, live. I think we're actually live now. And basically, I'll just say everything I said again, that if you are watching now um, and you want to make comments and you want to do things like that, Samuel Weems, our associate pastor, will be manning those comments. And uh, for the rest of us, why don't I go ahead and pray again? So, Father, I just pray that you would uh, open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would overcome technical difficulties and glitches and Internet uh, failings. I pray that you would... Um, be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. Father, in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. So basically, we're in the middle of a, of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today I was supposed to be talking about oaths. And because of all of the virus stuff, I thought I would skip forward to what Jesus has to say about anxiety, since people are experiencing a little bit of that lately. And so Typically, when I open to start a sermon, I'll start with a question. And so the question I have now for you in the middle of like all of this virus stuff is what is your biggest fear right now? Is it death? Right. It, I guess it probably depends on your age or, or whether you're medically compromised. If you're young, maybe you're not worried about it. If you're older, maybe you are. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you're wondering, like, what's going to happen to my retirement or what happened to my retirement account? Or maybe you're worried that you're not going to be able to pay your bills, right? Those, those are legitimate fears. Or maybe you have the sum of all fears that we've seen happen over the past few weeks is that you might run out of toilet paper. That for some reason, months or, or, or years from now, you are not going to be able to clean your backside. Is that your biggest fear? It is for some people. You know, I found an article this week in uh, Vice Magazine online, and it made me laugh, and I thought I'd share it with you. Basically, it's from Vice Australia, and so I can't help but hear the voices in my head when I read this. Basically, a reporter called Eddie Lim went to a Costco, and he asked a bunch of people, why are you buying all this toilet paper? And I'm just going to read you two. The first is a, is a woman named Lily's, age 65, and she's sort of, um, in my head, she reminds me of one of the hens from Chicken Run. And so that's what uh, you'll hear. So Li Lily, Vice goes to her, hey Lily, why are you buying so much toilet paper? Then Lily says, I'm buying this because I can see everyone panicking. So I'm panicking. <laughs> I would say I'm buying all this for the sake of precaution. It's important to maintain hygiene, you know, with the virus and all that. It's not worth risking your life above all things. But as far as I know, the toilet virus doesn't actually change your gastrointestinal habits, though. Well, yes, but, but you know. Mm, no, I don't know. I just know all my friends are going crazy over toilet paper. Every single one, even people at work and all my relatives overseas as well. Everyone's concerned about the situation. Have you heard that toilet paper is being sold on eBay? Yes, and that's horrible. It's very upsetting. People are taking advantage of other people. There's no compassion at all. I would even go so far as to say it's absolutely criminal. <laughs> okay. Then he talks to someone named Danny, who's only 21. Danny reminds me of Ricky from Hunt for the Wilder People, sort of living the skunk's life, you know. So he says, hey, Danny, why are you buying all this toilet paper, Danny? Because we're all idiots, legit. <laughs> Do you think the toilet paper crisis is a herding mentality thing? 
feel like it's unnecessary panic and just fear of missing out. There's no way people are using toilet paper that fast. What, does everyone have chronic diarrhea all of a sudden? But you got three packs of toilet paper there also. I'm literally out of toilet paper at home. Also, Costco is a one-pack per person rule now at this store. I'm here with my two other mates pushing the cart next to me. That one's still picking up more food. We're picking this all up now so that we never have to come back to this hellhole. There's a bunch of food in your cart. You're stockpiling or you're hungry? Oh, we're just hungry. Are you guys getting anything else besides toilet paper? I mean, we're getting a ton of those Costco danishes. That stuff is fire. <laughs> I might go get that giant bottle of pretzels, actually. I'll be right back. And he just leaves the guy. And as a shout out to my, uh, my daughter, Mercy, I will say those Costco danishes are fire. Um, but what's interesting, all those people hoarding toilet paper because of, of a fear of a virus, what is interesting to me is that they actually already have a virus. If you're hoarding toilet paper, if you're hoarding supplies, if you're worried about things, you are actually, you already have a virus. And what is that virus? Uh, Edwin Friedman wrote a book called uh, Failure of Nerve. And he would say the virus that most of us experience is anxiety. <clears throat> In other words, anxiety behaves just like a virus. Anxiety uh, infects us and then we want to infect other people. And the, the more it affects us, the more it affects other people. And the more people who get infected, the bigger it gets. And suddenly there's panic. And the next thing you know, people are hoarding toilet paper. Now, here's the thing of, of what's the remedy for anxiety. Well, the remedy for anxiety, according to Friedman, at least, would be to, to be the non-anxious presence. And so if everyone is hoarding toilet paper and you're not, and you're sort of a reasonable and rational, hopefully that will communicate to other people. Now, what I want to talk about today is the fact that of all the people in the world that should be able to be a non-anxious presence in the, in the midst of panic, it should be Christians, right? So if you're a Christian, um, today, I, I hope you he hear this. If you're not a Christian, I hope, I hope you actually learn that you don't have to experience anxiety. We're going to look at three things today. The text we're considering is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. You can look that up in a Bible, or you can look that up on the phone. You can look that up on the internet if you want to follow along with that. And we're going to look at three things today uh, from this text. We're going to look at the root of anxiety. We're going to look at the folly of anxiety and finally we're going to look at the remedy of anxiety before we look at those things though i want to point out sort of give you a little context for this whole passage because this passage is often misused as, as many of them are in the sermon on the mount basically the context for this passage is that jesus is speaking to disciples in other words people who, who have decided to follow jesus they're not poor destitute people sort of homeless people um they, they're just normal people who have decided to follow Jesus, and they probably aren't poor. If you think about all the disciples, they had jobs, they, they, they were fishermen, uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus is talking to, to Christians who have decided to follow him, who have some way to sustain themselves. But also he has said in the passage before the one we're considering, the last thing he said is, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So he's just told people who have some means, some way of supporting themselves, that you're going to have to decide whether you're going to you serve God or you're going to serve money. And apparently he's anticipating that that will cause some amount of anxiety. 
that actually having faith, trusting God to take care of us rather than just taking care of ourselves is going to, is going to cause some anxiety. And so he begins then to talk about anxiety. So what is the root of anxiety? Look at verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on is life, not more than food and the body more than clothing. So when Jesus says, therefore, right, he's assuming um, something that's come before. He says that you can't serve God and money. Therefore, um, don't be anxious. The assumption there is that you've decided to serve God and you believe that God is going to take care of you. But what's interesting is that worry is a pretty good diagnostic tool to see who your actual God is. Right. And that's whether you're a Christian or, or not. Right? So if you say you're a Christian and you're constantly worried about money or you're constantly worried about uh, finding a spouse, you're constantly worried even like about what college you're going to get into that, that, that keeps you awake at night and it causes you anxiety, that's the thing you're serving. That's the thing that gets your energy. That's the thing that gets your attention. That thing at the end of the day is actually your God. Jesus challenges that. He challenges it with a rhetorical question. Notice what he says. He says, at the end of that verse, he says, is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Jesus expects us to say yes to that. And even if the Bible didn't answer that question, um, that life is more than food and clothing, um, common sense answers that question, right? Um, we all we all live as if everything matters. One of the one of the, my favorite stories from my time at Eli Lilly, I was a, I was a church planner and a pastor, and I left the ministry and I became a neuroscience sales rep for Eli Lilly, probably about 15 years ago. And one of the things we did is we bring in famous speakers from around the world, and I would often be the one I'd volunteer to pick them up and drive them around. And this one guy we brought, he was from Ireland. He was a world famous neurologist. He was living in Los Angeles and I picked him up at the airport. And as soon as he opened my door, he just let out this, this flurry of, of cuss words. And I, I was fine with that. Um, he gets in the car and I said, well, how are you doing? And he was all upset and he was all crunk because his partners in LA had decided that they wanted to do a Bible study at his office. And he was an atheist and he didn't want to have any of it. And he was just going off about these partners and how he couldn't believe how they believed that and all everything. And I thought I would have some fun. And I was driving. I said, you know, I actually used to be a preacher. And he screamed, oh, don't tell me that. He says, I can't believe you believe all that too, do you? And I said, well, you know, I, I think I do. And he ranted and he raved. And I remember the last thing he said before he got a call from his daughter, he says, you know, I don't believe any of that. At the end of the day, I think what's going to happen is you die and you get buried and everyone forgets you and no one remembers anything about you. And right about the time he said that, he got a phone call. And it was his, it was his daughter on the, the line. And apparently she'd gotten in a pretty serious car accident. And he was so concerned and so worried. He was very compassionate. And he got off the phone and I said, is everything okay? And he said, my daughter, she almost lost her life. She's okay now, but she almost lost her life. And I said, who cares? And he was silent. He said, what do you mean? How can you say that? I said, you just told me five minutes ago that when we die, you just get put in the ground and no one remembers you and no one remembers a thing about us at all. And he was quiet 
And suddenly a grin came across his face and he said, I think you need to go back to being a preacher, right? All I did basically was point out to him that you can say that, that life is not more than food and clothing and biology and all of this kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, we all live as if life is that way. You see, oftentimes Christians are, are, are uh, maybe rightly uh, called hypocrites, right? Because they don't live out what they actually believe. Well, you know, it, it goes both ways. You see, you, can be a, you don't have to be a Christian to be a, a hypocrite. If you're living as if everything matters, but you say that you don't think anything matters, then you're a hypocrite too. Now, the good news about hypocrisy, when, when people tell me the church is full of hypocrites, I would say the church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for more. Let's move on. <laughs> when you think about basically the root of anxiety is basically when we actually forget that life is about more than food and clothing. For the Christian, we forget that Jesus came, that he lived a life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. We forget that he rose from the dead. We forget that he promised us, I will never fail you or forsake you. Let me read to you Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, what the Apostle Paul says. He says, what shall we say about these things? He's just explained this thing called the gospel. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, the root of anxiety is when we, we forget that God is for us and not against us. We forget that, that he intends and plans to give us all good things. He, he intends and plans to give us everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but he's gonna, he, he promises to give us everything we need. Now, interestingly enough, apparently some people needed some family time, <laughs> and you got it. Um, but the root is forgetting all that. The more we understand that God is for us and not against us, the more that we understand he has given us all things in Christ, and therefore how can he not also give us all, all things? The more we understand that, the more we also understand the flip side of, is the folly of anxiety, at least what Jesus would say about that. Notice... Uh, when he talks about the folly of anxiety, verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if the God so clothes the grass in the field, which of you today is alive and tomorrow's which which is alive today and tomorrow's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus is appealing to to nature, what theologians would call general revelation. So the, he points them first to birds, and he says, you know, which of you? Um, he says, look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you believe that you're more valuable than a sparrow? Do you believe that you're more, more, more valuable than a, than a raven, than a crow? Think of a bird. And, and this is an environmental statement. This is just a question. As a human made in the image of God, do you feel that you have value? A lot of you don't, but you do. Jesus says that you're more valuable than, than all of the sparrows, than all of the birds, and yet God feeds them. Will he not feed you? He, moves, he asks the question, 
he says, why are you, um, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? That's a great question, right? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I know people who get anxious pretty often, and it doesn't help at all. In fact, being anxious not only doesn't add an hour to your life, but it takes hours away from your life. It's harmful. Jesus says, so, so what good has your anxiety ever done for you? And then he, of course, talks about clothing with the lilies of the field. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he says, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive t today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then Jesus gives us the key to maybe the whole thing. He says, oh, you of little faith. What does he expect us to have faith in? He expects us to have faith, again, back to the fact that God has is for us and not against us, that he has given his son, Jesus, and also the fact that he has embraced us. And if God has embraced you, he's never going to let you go. If, if you have embraced him by faith, that means he has embraced you first and he is never going to let you go. And if you know he is never going to let you go, you can be free. You can be free in a lot of ways. You can be free to struggle with your issues, but you can also be free from anxiety. Because you can realize that when you start to feel it, not to say that anxiety isn't valid, we all experience it in one way, shape, or form, but the question is, how will we deal with it? Do you deal with it by giving into it, by just by letting it go and becoming a virus and causing panic with other people? Or do you tell yourself, I don't need to experience things, this anxiety because God has given everything for me in the person and work of his son. He promised to take care of me. He promised that he would take care of me financially. He promised he would take care of me uh, spiritually and emotionally and all of these things. Are you telling yourself the gospel? Are you telling yourself and reminding yourself of the promises of God? Uh, Jesus tells us that the anxiety at the end of the day at some level is, is folly, it's foolishness. And so what's the remedy for anxiety? That's the last thing we'll talk about. Look at verse 31 and 34. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is trouble of its own. So, Jesus basically, he, he says not to be anxious six times in this short passage. And he gives two reasons right here at the very end of why we shouldn't be anxious. The first reason he basically says, he said, do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink. Verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all those things. Now remember, his audience was not only uh, people who probably had jobs and they probably had some means of support and he's asking them to follow him, but they were also Jewish. And if you, if you were a rabbi and you wanted to get the attention of Jewish students, you would basically say, you're acting like Gentiles right now. That would make them go, skirt. That would be like um, if someone told me, uh, Tommy, you're acting like you're in the Navy right now, right? Uh-uh, that would get my attention. And so Jesus is saying, don't act like the Gentiles do. He's not accusing Gentiles of being bad, but what he's saying is, you Jews, and in our case, you Christians, have a heavenly Father who cares about you. You have a heavenly Father who has given you everything you need and will provide everything you need. The Gentiles, they don't know that. They don't have that, at least in their mind. Um, it's offered to them. And because of that, they, they hoard toilet paper. 
In, in, in other words, it makes sense that they would hoard toilet paper. If there's no one who's sort of covering their butts, if there's no one who's taking care of them, if they don't have a heavenly father who is for them and not against them, why wouldn't they do everything they can to take care of themselves? And Jesus says, don't be like them. You don't need to be. And that's the second reason he gives. He says, why? Because your heavenly father knows that you need all those things. So number one, don't act like the Gentiles. Number two, your heavenly father knows you need all those things. And because he knows you need all those things and will provide them for you when and if they, you need them, he says, do this instead. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, one of the, one of the myths that people think about Christianity or about Christians is that Christians think they're better than other people. And if any Christian thought that said that to me, I would say, you're missing, you're missing the boat. Um, Christians aren't better than anybody else, but they should be different. We should be that non-anxious presence. We should be uh, that the the people who, in the midst of crisis, in the mid, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, we're the ones who are actually bringing peace and hope to those who don't understand the gospel, whether or not they believe it. By the way, we ought to be blessings to them. And to the extent that we believe what Jesus has done for us in the context of this thing called the gospel, we will be that non-anxious presence. Notice the, one of the last things Jesus says here, or the last thing he says here. He gives this parting shot in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, all anxiety is future-oriented. No one, no one has anxiety about the past. Even anxiety that we have about the past is about how it will affect our future. And Jesus, on one hand, tells us the, the future, there will be trouble there. But instead, deal with the trouble that's right in front of you now. And I would say deal with it in the context of the gospel. And deal with it in the context of knowing that you have a father who is for you, not against you. A father who has called you to himself. A father who extends his grace and love to you. A father who's done everything in the person and work of Jesus. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would, um, you would help us to be delivered from our anxiety by, by faith, that we would put our faith in you, that we would trust in you, that we would, when we feel anxious, we would remind ourselves of your promises. In Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. And so one more thing. I thought I would leave us with um, at this point, usually in church, after I preach, I would say, please stand as we sing the doxology and prepare to receive God's tithes and offerings. Well, I'm not going to stand and I'm not going to sing the doxology, but I would remind you if you want to give <laughs> uh, somewhere, I, I guess down here um, will be links to, to be able to give online. There should be text to giving links that way. If you have questions, you can ask them in the comment section. What we would then do before we partake of communion is we do a profession of faith. And the profession of faith I would have done today is this one from the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to do a benediction, and then we'll be finished. So the question is this. It says, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That's question 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the answer is this that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. 
I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. If you're at home and you want to stand, you can, (laughs) or you can stay seated like I will. Receive this benediction, and I say to you, the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is a mighty and victorious warrior. The Lord your God will quiet you with his love, and the Lord your God shouts over you with great shouts of joy. Go about your day in the hope and joy of that knowledge. Amen and amen.